Hey, this is Mark, and you're listening to Stuff Matters. In this episode, we learn about elements on the periodic table that can be dangerous. Why are they hazardous to begin with? How has humanity lived alongside these elements for so long? What can they do that labels them as dangerous? Who discovered them? When were they discovered? Where can these elements be found? All that and more as we dive in and explore to learn about hazardous elements. But first, let's hear a recent headline from the NEWS, the news. In the news, we have an article that reads, Researchers infuse bacteria with silver to improve the power of efficiency in fuel cells. From UCLA, a team of engineers and chemists have taken a step forward when it comes to microbial fuel cells. Microbial fuel cells are a type of organic technology that uses bacteria to extract electrons from organic matter in wastewater to generate electrical currents. Think of this as humans using bacteria to create electricity in dirty water. This type of technology is still fairly new, but one day we hope that it will become an alternative to how we get our electricity and other fuel. Anyways, the team from UCLA, led by Professor and Chair of Material Science and Engineering, Yu Hyung, have been using bacteria genus known as Shuanella for their research. This genus has been commonly studied for energy generation capabilities. It grows in soil, wastewater, and seawater, regardless of oxygen levels. The Shuanella species breaks down organic waste into smaller molecules, with their electrons acting as a byproduct of the process. Bacteria grows as a film on electrodes, which then are capturing electrons and form microbial fuel cells that produce electricity. Think of it like this. A bacteria eats waste, and in doing so, it grows in size. This allows for them to capture electrons and produce electricity. Electrodes are conductors of electricity that allow for positive and negative charges to flow. Now get a bunch of this bacteria in a puddle of wastewater. They're going to eat up the waste, grow electrodes, and capture more electrons, and have a flowing electrical circuit going through one bacteria to the next. The problem that Yu Hyang's team solved was that Shuanella bacteria showed to produce not enough electricity for practical uses. Electrons moved too fast to escape the bacteria's membrane, which hold the entrance to the electrodes. Hyang's team added nanoparticles of silver to the electrodes that are composed of a type of graphene oxide. A graphene oxide just means that they had to pair silver with oxygen for it to work better. The nanoparticles release silver ions to the bacteria's membrane. This creates a microscopic transmission wire, capturing more electrons and producing more electricity. We all know that metal conducts electricity very well. These positively charged silver ions were the right amount of strength to attract the negatively charged electrons efficiently. While the electrons were baited to the silver ion, the bacteria does its job in extracting the electron by turning it into electricity with the electrode. 
Reports showed that this improved outputs by more than 80%. This next step shows that fuel cells powered by silver Schuonella hybrids may pave the way for efficient power. Or it may give other ideas on how to add metallic ions to bacteria generators. With the news out of the way, let's kick it on over to the TOPIC, the topic. Now you may be wondering, what classifies an element as hazardous? Well, there are three broad categories. One is radioactivity. While radioisotopes can be made from any element, you do well to steer clear from any element on the periodic table past 84, such as polonium all the way to element 118, Oganesson, which is so new that it was only named in 2016. Another way to classify an element as hazardous is its toxicity. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA, defines a toxic chemical as any substance which can be considered harmful to the environment or hazardous to health if inhaled, ingested, or absorbed through the skin. The third is their radioactivity. Most reactive elements and compounds can ignite spontaneously, or even explosive, and generally burn in water, as well as in the air. Today we're going to go over a handful of elements, just to briefly touch upon them, and what it is that classifies them as hazardous, so that way you know that you can stay clear. First, we will start with polonium. Element number 84, discovered in 1898 by Marie Curie, alongside her husband, Pierre. Polonium is a rare radioactive natural metalloid. It's worked at in nuclear factories. It's used as an atomic heat source, in anti-static brushes for photographic film, and industrial manufacturing. It's also known to be a poison. An example would be a recent story from 2006 where a former spy Alexander Litvinenko, who was poisoned with a trace of polonium in his tea. He then died 23 days later. The way that this element works is that it excites molecules in the air and produces a blue glow. Alpha particles of isotope PO210 don't have enough energy to penetrate skin, but a lot of them are always emitted. This element is 250,000 times more toxic than cyanide. One gram of polonium is equivalent to 5 kilograms of radium. And just one gram also has the potential to kill 10 million people if it were passed around, ingested, or injected. Number two on our list is mercury. It's a very well-known toxic metal and was discovered long ago before 1500 BCE by the ancient Egyptians. It's number 80 on the periodic table. It's a stark difference to its neighbor gold, being that it's dense for unbroken skin to absorb. But it has a high vapor pressure, so even if you don't touch it, you will still inhale it. The pure metal itself is not a hazard, but rather its organic counterpart, found in seafood. Industries are also emitting mercury into the air, such as paper mills. Paper mills are factories devoted to making paper out of organic material. When absorbed, mercury will damage multiple organ systems, but the neurological effects are much worse. It's able to affect memory, muscle, strength, and coordination, also called the Mad Hatter disease, after hat industries from the 18th to the 19th century used mercury nitrate, 
on felt for hats. A fast fact about mercury is that it's the only metallic element that is liquid at room temperature. Moving on, we have element number 33, arsenic. Discovered approximately 1250 by Albert Magnus. The name is thought to come from arsenicon, the Greek name for yellow pigment. Arsenic is a poisonous tool, used for homicides since the Middle Ages. Victorians were also exposed through paints and wallpaper. In medicine, it was once used to treat syphilis because it was vastly superior to the old treatment involving mercury. Today, it is less useful for killing thanks to our advanced technology created to detect the elements. Rather, it is used to preserve wood and in certain pesticides. It holds a risk in groundwater contamination, which results in drilled wells becoming arsenic-rich aquifers. Some tests have shown that arsenic compounds have promise in treating leukemia. It's estimated that 500 million worldwide and 25 million in the U.S. are drinking arsenic-contaminated water. This poison disrupts ATP production, the molecules your cell needs for energy, and causes cancer. Low doses can cause nausea, bleeding, vomiting, and diarrhea. Large doses are slow, painful death that take hours. Next is element number 87, francium, discovered on January 7, 1939, by Marguerite Perry, who was an assistant to Marie Curie. Francium has only one ounce found in the Earth's crust. Mankind has been trying to synthesize more, but it's not enough to weigh. Gloves are necessary, or else the water in your skin will react with the metal and cause an explosion. See, all alkali metals are reactive. Sodium and potassium together in water will result in a combustion. The reactivity increases as you make your way down the group. So you can imagine how explosive cesium may get. That's really it for francium. It's a highly reactive element, and there's not much of it to go around. Moving back to poisons, we have element 82, lead. Thought to be discovered about 7,000 years ago. While 3,000 BC people have already discovered how to smelt lead from ore, we think it's somewhere in between 1792 BC and 1750 BC, where mass production of lead was started. Lead can be found in weights, solder, jewelry, plumbing, paint, and a contaminant in many other products. High doses are lethal, and there's never been a safe level of exposure when it comes to this element. Poisoning replaces other metals in your body, such as iron and calcium and zinc. Lead poisoning can affect babies and children with development delays, organ damage, and reduced intelligence. As an adult, you get the added effects to your blood pressure and fertility. It's also toxic to plants, not just animals. And our last element to look at is something a little more interesting. It's a radioactive element, man-made, known as plutonium. Plutonium was originally discovered on December 14, 1940 in a UC Berkeley lab by Glenn Seaborg, Arthur Whale, Joseph Kennedy, and Edwin McMillan. They had produced plutonium by bombarding the isotope uranium-238 with alpha particles. Now we have a dangerous element that is able to flood surroundings with all three particles, alpha, beta, and gamma radiation. An estimated 500 grams can kill 2 million people if inhaled or ingested. 
It increases in density when melted from solid to liquid, just like water. And it's more abundantly found in nuclear reactors and weapons. It can cause radiation sickness and cancer. It's also known to be pyrophobic, meaning that it smolders in air when heated. But that is all of the elements that I wanted to touch on. You may notice that some of them were poisons, some of them were radioactive, and one of them was extremely reactive. You also might have noticed I kept a very close range on the periodic table. If you grabbed your periodic table and take a look with me, you would see that the bottom row, where it splits off, element numbers 89 through 103 are reactive, radioreactive, meaning that they can emit gamma particles, alpha particles, beta particles, and cause cancer, just like when I talked about uranium earlier. Just above the radioactive actinoids are the poisonous lanthanoids. These are metallic elements that are extremely poisonous, like mercury, ranging from element number 57 to 71. You may then see that the lanthanoids and the actinoids, while separate from the periodic table, they line up with the poisonous and radioactive elements respectively, if you were to insert them back in. Continuing on after element 71 and 103, you can see that we have mercury in line with the poisonous elements. And rutherfordium, elements 104, continuing on the radioactive actinoids. But now is the question of why. Why are they toxic? Why are they radioactive? Why are they so reactive? Starting with toxicity, toxic metals sometimes emit the action of essential elements in the body. Toxic elements can interfere with the metabolic process, resulting in illness. Many metals, particularly heavy metals, are toxic, but some heavy metals are essential, and some, such as bismuth, have a very low toxicity. Recall earlier the definition of lead, how it replaces the metals in your body, causing a poison reaction. These toxic heavy metals can be found naturally in the earth. They become concentrated as a result of human-caused activities. So to us, living things, plants and animals, heavy metals become toxic when they are not metabolized by the body and accumulate in the soft tissues. If you do get poisoned, know that there isn't much option. The main treatment of heavy metal poisoning is termination of exposure to the metal. It is then best to take a chelating agent that causes the toxic poison to bind with the drug and be extracted in the urine. But what about radioactive elements? What are they all about? Their deal is that the elements are simply unstable. Their atoms have extra neutrons and protons, which create an extra energy in the nucleus, causing the atom to become unbalanced. This unstable nucleus becomes radioactive and emits radiation. Radioactive isotopes are often called radioisotopes. All elements with atomic numbers greater than 83 are radioisotopes, meaning that these elements have unstable nuclei and are radioactive. Some naturally occurring radioactive elements are uranium and thorium, which can be found naturally in the Earth's crust. Over billions of years, these elements will slowly change form to produce decay products such as radium and radon. How these radioactive elements work is that since that their nuclei are unstable, they are emitting these alpha, gamma, and beta particles to become isotopes. 
in these radioisotopes, we see that the element what once was acts more stable and similarly to a different element on the periodic table. So in the case of radioactive elements, they just want to become more stable. The reason for their radioactive decay is because their nuclei is unstable. They want to be like the rest of the elements. The third category of highly reactive elements stems from the number of electrons in the outermost shell of an atom. Noble gases have a low reactivity because they have full electron shells. Halogens are highly reactive because they readily gain an electron to fill their outermost shell. Recall that I discussed francium and how alkali metals are the most reactive. This is because alkali metals react with air to form caustic metal oxides. The heavier the alkali metal means a more spontaneous ignition upon exposure to air at room temperature. Alkali metals react with water to produce heat, hydrogen gas, and the corresponding metal hydroxide. But why do these elements combust? That's because when looking at each element's atom, they're not all the same size. As you increase in size, go down the periodic table, the valence electrons go farther and farther away. A main goal for elements' atoms is that they want to become just like the noble gases, a complete full 8-set valence electron. So when you pair up, say, francium with room temperature oxygen, it's going to combust because it's going to take electrons from oxygen and suddenly that last valence electron shell becomes more attracted to the nucleus. In two elements bonding, create something called molecular fusion, something I touched upon in my episode about hydrogen being the most abundant element. To summarize it here, molecular fusion is the reason why all types of bonding create a sort of heat. It takes a form of energy if you want a bond between two elements sharing electrons to stay together. In the case of francium being the most reactive alkali metal, it emits a high amount of heat because it's crazy molecular fusion and bonding to the oxide, sharing bonds with their electrons. Whew, you can explode. That's not to say all elements besides the alkali metals can combust like this. There are more. It's just that the alkali group 1 metals on the periodic table show to be the most reactive because they have a charge of plus 1, meaning that they only need one electron to become an octet like noble gases. Maybe think of it like alkali metals just get really <laughs> excited when they finally get that one electron they've been waiting so long for. That was a lot of information. Let's take a breather. And here's where we just kick back and relax for just a bit after everything we just learned. I get to talk about myself, and you get to learn a little bit about what things are going on in my life. I want to start off by saying it's really good to be making episodes again. As some of you in the distant future may not know, but there was a 
bit of a six-month hiatus in between this episode and the last. That was mainly because the first four episodes I produced were just to get the framework and to see how they would go, a sort of test run. I also was very busy. I've gotten into the groove of my work schedule, and now I've decided to make this a bi-weekly podcast as of this episode because I cannot do a research paper in one week with all the workload that I currently have. But yeah, that's it's really nice to finally get back to this hobby. It's been uh, itching me for a while. In sciency news, I've been able to do some research here. Uh, I am helping a professor with iron research and seeing how it equals up to scandium. That's all I'm going to say on that. I've only just begun, and it's uh, something I'm really looking forward to. In some fun news, I learned how to whistle with my hands. Basically, you just get your hands super clamped together super tightly, and you blow into it, into your thumbs, because the air that goes in comes out the same way. Uh, Here, let me, I'm going to not blow into the microphone. Let me step back a bit and try to see if I can do it. I'm still new. I've only done this for like three days now. (laughs) Yeah, that's mainly known to use for bird calls and such, Uh, but I've been messing with it and it's really fun to just randomly uh, get my hands clamped together and do a whistle. Let's reflect on what we learned today by taking a look at the RECAP. It's recap time. Today we learned that there has been a breakthrough when it comes to the next step in how we get our energy in the future. We also learned about a few elements on the periodic table that are toxic, radioactive, and highly reactive. We learned why toxic elements do what they do, why radioactive elements try to emit all of these gamma, alpha, and beta particles, and why reactive elements like the alkali metals are so excited. Tune in next time where we talk about purifying water, the different methods of going about purifying H2O, how different people used to do it back then as to now, the technologies that have been invented, the history and scientists who worked on this sort of project. Be sure to follow so that way you won't miss a beat when the new episode drops. For more highlights and updates outside of the show, check out underscore stuff matters on Twitter. Got a great idea for a topic? Maybe you want to send me some fan mail or a critique on the show. Feel free to email me through stuffmatterspodcast at gmail.com. I've been Mark, and thank you for listening to Stuff Matters. <laughs>